Uh, if you weren't here earlier in the service, my name is Jamie Ingram. It's uh, my privilege to get to come and open God's Word with you today. I am the worship and missions pastor here at the church. And I get to talk to you about a passage I am really, really excited to talk to you about. We're going to be answering some questions today. In fact, last week when Steve was preaching, introducing the book of Nehemiah, he left off on what I feel like as a very interesting, very important question for us. He asked this question, how do you know if you have God-given vision or if you just had really bad Taco Bell last night and it's just messing with your system? How do you know that the vision you have is a God-given vision? It's kind of an interesting question, right? And the more I began to think about it, the more important and impactful it kind of becomes in our lives. Because the truth is, if we knew, if we could know that we had God-given vision, it kind of changes our perspective as we walk through life. So often we're going around and it's kind of like things are happening and we're almost wondering like, okay, what, what's happening right now? And if we knew that we had been given God-given vision when those things came, when pushback came, when trials came, when struggles came, we could easily say, well, God's called me to do this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust Him. Everything's good. It'd be kind of nice, right? Walking through this life saying, hey, this is what God's called me to do. I'll just be faithful to Him. God's with me. God's got this. Amen. Hallelujah. Life's good. But the truth is, is that often we struggle, just in general, but also to know, is this where God's wanting me to go? And so this morning, we are going to talk about God-given vision. How do you know if you have God-given vision? And once we've answered that question, we're going to answer a second question that is also very closely tied to that. I've got God-given vision, now what do I do with that? How do I respond to God-given vision? This is a, the exact question I think Nehemiah was asking himself. We're going to take a look at his story, and then we're going to take a look at our own lives and say, okay, how can we answer these questions? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, to give a little background, a little context, a little refresher, maybe you weren't here last week, just to make sure we're all on the same page things you need to know about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was the cupbearer, and that meant that he had a lot of influence. He's not just tasting the wine and possibly dying before Artaxerxes. He has a relationship with this man. He has influence. He has the ability to speak into Artaxerxes' life. He also is an Israelite that's in captivity under Persian rule. Nehemiah is in captivity, he's an Israelite, and he's in captivity with King Artaxerxes under Persian rule. So when people would come into town from Israel, Nehemiah is very interested to hear what's going on. He wants to know. So he goes up to some people that have come into town, he says, hey, how are things going in Israel? Let me know, I want to know, how are things like? In verse 3, they answer him. Chapter 1, verse 3, they say, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. 
and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Not exactly great news. Nehemiah hears this and his heart is just devastated. Verse 4, and when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears these words and he's heartbroken. You can almost like in your mind picture kind of the thought process that he's going through. Oh no, this is terrible. How could these things be happening in Israel? These are my people, the people of my God. This is, this is awful. What can I do? There must be something. They mentioned about this wall, about these gates. Maybe that's something that I could do. Could I, could I use my influence to help? What can I do to help? Starting to weigh these things in his mind, a vision begins to form. Maybe I can be a part of helping to get the wall of this city rebuilt. But there's other things weighing on Nehemiah's mind as well. Like, did you know? Nehemiah has this vision that's starting to form for rebuilding the wall. But they've already tried to rebuild the wall. Back in Ezra chapter 4, they tried to rebuild the city, rebuild the wall the first time. Some advisors, some people came to Artaxerxes and said, listen, you can't let this happen. These people, if you let them build the wall, they're going to revolt. They're going re- to rebel. They're going to try to overthrow your authority. They're going to try to escape from you. Artaxerxes sends a letter, probably with an armed guard, right, out to the people of Israel. And he says, listen, cease and desist. Stop. No more wall. Stop building it. Quit. Nothing's been done since then. Nehemiah is looking now and going, okay, so I would be asking a second time the person who's already said no to it once, who holds my life in his hands, if he doesn't like what I say, this could be the end for me. He could see me as a revolutionary. He could see me as a traitor. He could end my life. Maybe even weighing heavier on Nehemiah's mind is the fact of why Israel's in this place in the first place. They sinned. Israel, Judah, Israel as a whole, I mean, they, they were not living for God, and God scattered them. Nehemiah's probably in his heart going, God, is this something you want to do? Is this just me? Are you wanting to rebuild this wall? Are you wanting us to continue to have to walk in this punishment that you've given? God, what do you want? What's going on? Is this a God-given vision, or is it just me? And Nehemiah began to ask these same questions that we asked ourselves. How do I know that this is a God-given vision and it's not just me? And I want to look at some of the evidence for why Nehemiah knew this was a God-given vision and how he responded to that. And the first thing, and I think this is kind of important, the first thing that Nehemiah knew that led him to believe this was a God-given vision was that Nehemiah cared deeply. Nehemiah cared deeply for the situation, and he had passion to fix it. Nehemiah heard what was going on, and his heart began to break. I can't believe this is happening to my people. Something's got to be done. Begins to have this, this, this vision forming in his mind. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, because the reality is, is that when we have a burden for something, it does not always mean we have a vision for something. Those are two very different things. But oftentimes it is that the vision, a God-given vision that's come from God starts with a burden. 
It starts with a care that we have. We care about it, but then it becomes something more than that. We begin to deeply care about it. We begin to, to think about it constantly. We begin to think about it when we wake up in the middle of the night when we're trying to go to sleep. Oh, man, what can I do about this? We're driving in our car. God begins to lay this on our heart. What can I do? How can I be a part of this? There are other times that it's just a burden. It's something, ah, that, that stinks. I, I can't believe that's happening. But then it doesn't go beyond that. There are things that God puts in our life that we hear about that, that affect us, that we care about, but we have not been given of God to fix. And the best way I can think of to explain it is just to talk about some very natural examples that happen all the time, which is that I've been on staff at this church for 10 years, and it's been a great privilege for me to be a part of Desert Springs and be on staff here for so long. And every week, we get prayer requests from you all. And we pray for those prayer requests. We love praying for those prayer requests. But I'll be honest with you, when we read your prayer requests, there's a lot of tough stuff you all are going through. Sometimes there's like a family member that's going through a time of struggle or distress. There's, there's things going on. And it hurts our hearts. And we pray for it. But a week, two weeks later, I'm probably not thinking about that thing that I prayed for. I care. I was burdened for it. I prayed for it, but it's not overriding my heart. I've got to do something. I've got to fix this thing. For the person that gave the prayer request, though, this may become a God-given vision. They care. They're burdened. Hey, what if we stepped into this situation? What if we use this as an opportunity to love on this person that's hurting? What if we, we use this as an opportunity to tell them about Christ? Maybe God could save them through this. What if we stepped into their life and we love them the way God's called us to love them? What could God do through that? And it becomes a God-given vision that he's laid on your heart. It's awesome. Another example, just, just to help understand this. I am someone that cares very, very deeply for the, for the nation of Japan. I want to see the gospel go forth in Japan. If you've ever tried to talk to me, if I can take it to Japan, it usually gets there and I will really bore you with all the things I think about Japan because I love that country. I want to see the gospel go forth there. I have a vision that we would take students from our church to go over and share the gospel there, to minister to churches, to encourage churches and missionaries in Japan. That's a big deal to me. I think about it all the time when I'm driving, when I'm in my car. It just comes to me and I'm thinking about it I'm processing it. I also know, because I've talked to a lot of you and bored a lot of you with it, that you care. Oh, it's the second most unreached people group in the world. Oh, man, we got to pray for them. This is a... But it's not more than just that initial burden point. You don't have a vision for it. And guess what? That's okay. God gave me a vision for it. He didn't give it to you to fix. He gave it to me to pray over, to work in my heart. He's given it to others to... And that's Okay. God gives us different, different visions because God does more through multiple visions than he does through giving us all the exact same vision. That's what God does. He lays different things on different people's hearts. He allows us to work together to, to encourage the kingdom all over the world, and it's an amazing thing that he does. I'm thankful for that. It wouldn't be as good if we all had the exact same vision. So it's okay that we have different visions, and some of us just care about things, and some of us have a, a deep vision for it, but when we are given that God-given vision, it's something that's going to grow in our heart. A passion's going to grow there. It's going to be a fire that doesn't let go. 
And when that starts happening, that question comes up in your mind. It's what's happening for Nehemiah. Is this me or is this God? Is this me or is this God? And when that happens, we've got to do what Nehemiah did. We've got to take it to the Lord. Nehemiah knew he had God-given vision because he cared deeply. He had a passion that wouldn't let go. He was thinking about it day and night. But he didn't stop there. He took that passion and he brought it to the Lord. He sought God through fasting and through prayer. I love this because it's, it's such a, a, a picture of Nehemiah's heart of surrender. God, I've got this thing in my heart. I am burdened for this. It is not letting me go. It is, it is with me all the time. What do I do with this, God? I want to know what your will is. Is this from you or is this from me? I've got to know. God, will you tell me? Lay it on my heart. Help me to know. Help me to see. He comes before God and he's asking God, please help me to know if this is from you or if it's not. And I think that's amazing. He comes before God and he begins to fast. And I love this because it's really hard for me to understand the idea of skipping meals. I like to eat. One of my favorite things in the world. I wake up thinking about it. After each meal, it's my next thought. What's my next meal? That's what I like to do. But Nehemiah says, no, I'm taking an intentional time. I'm giving this to God. I want to know what he wants me to do. I can skip lunch to know what God wants me to do. God, tell me what you want me to do. The hunger pains are just going to help me press into you more. They're going to help me surrender to what you want more. They're going to help me depend on you more. And he takes that time and he begins to pray. And I think prayer is so important. If you want to know if you have a God-given vision, you got to ask. you got to ask God if this is from him. If you don't ask God if it's a God-given vision, how are you supposed to know? I was thinking about this. If I'm driving home today after church and Lydia's making a lunch for us and I have a wonderful wife, she's extremely gracious, but this would probably be extremely true. If I'm driving home and Lydia's planning to make a lunch and I decide I'm going to stop off at Fry's, be a good husband, I'm going to pick up all the ingredients she needs, but I don't call and ask what we're making and I make random selections, it's probably not going to go well for me when I get home. Because I didn't ask. If I pick up the phone and ask, it goes a lot better. Trust me. And the same is true when we want to know, is this a God-given vision? Is this something laid on my heart from God? We've got to ask. And I love Nehemiah's prayer. Because I think that this is not a prayer that we typically see in, in American culture. And I want to set it up for you. We're going to read the prayer together, but I want to set this prayer up for you. Because Nehemiah does not come before God and do this thing that I like to call, he doesn't treat God like a karmic God of justice. And I know that's kind of a weird phrase, but this is what I mean by that, and this is how it helps me think about it. He doesn't treat God like a karmic God of justice. And what I mean by that is he doesn't go to God and say, God, I've been good, therefore you be good to me. He doesn't go to God and say, God, I've been good, therefore you need, to, you need to stop treating me bad. I don't want you to treat me bad. I've been good, don't treat me bad. He doesn't do that. I think so many times we treat God like that. God, if I'm good for you, you've got to be good for me. That's not how it works. In fact, it's not even really a realistic picture of how our relationship with God is at all. Nehemiah has a pretty realistic picture of how his relationship is with God. He goes before God. And essentially, again, we're going to read it, but let me paraphrase before that. He says, God, I'm coming before you, and we kind of stink. 
Israel, they're not doing so good. They haven't followed you. My household, we haven't done such a good job. We haven't followed you. Me, sinner, messed up. We've sinned before you. We've acted corruptly. That's who we are, God, but I also know who you are. God, you're faithful. God, you keep your promises. God, you've redeemed us. You can do that again. God, you are able. You are capable. You have the ability. And because of that, God, now I'm going to come before you and ask you for something big. I'm going to ask you to open a door. I'm going to ask you to provide. Not because of who we are, not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because of who you are. I love that. Take a look at his prayer. Verse 5. Nehemiah prays, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I am my father's house of sin. Again, I don't know how many prayers I've heard where everybody's just confessing sin, but this is great. I have sinned. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. That's what they're living in. They were unfaithful. God scattered them. Verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do keep my commandments... And do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. God, we have sinned. You have rightfully scattered us. God, what you have done is is keeping your commandments, but I also know, God, that you are faithful. I also know that you can bring us back together. I also know that if anybody can get the wall done, it's not us. For humans, it's an impossibility. For you, anything is possible. So, Lord, if it would be your will, grant me favor today before King Artaxerxes. It's an amazing prayer. Nehemiah wanted to know if this was a God-given vision. So he cared enough about the issue. He saw that in his heart. It began to become a passion. So he goes to God. He seeks him. He's praying. He's fasting. God, is this you? Lord, I want to know. His heart is surrendered. And then he waits. Nehemiah waited. I think this is such an amazing part of what Nehemiah does because it doesn't fit with our American culture. Nehemiah waited. Now, this is not explicitly stated in the text, but if you take a look at chapter 1, we can draw this out. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says that Nehemiah hears the news of what's going on in the month of Kislev. Now, this just kind of seems like a random detail, but it's important. He hears this information in the month of Kislev. In chapter 2, verse 1, when everything begins to come together and God's timing begins to show itself, it says that it came about in the month of Nisan. If you study that a little bit further, you'll find that that's a four-month gap, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. Four-month gap. His prayer almost makes it seem like, if you're just reading it kind of you know, 
overview style. Like, like maybe these things all happened at the same time, but they really didn't. This, this was a four-month gap, and we don't know if this was a prayer that he was praying maybe just on that first day, and then he's waiting for God. We don't know if it was a prayer maybe he was praying then when, before he's going before King Artaxerxes. He does use the word today in there. I would suggest that probably because of the burden that he has on his heart, and he says this in the prayer, because of the, or in the text, because of the burden that's on his heart, this is probably a prayer Nehemiah is praying all the time. It's constantly on his heart. He's praying this every day. God, grant me your favor. God, give me an opportunity. God, open the door. If this is you, open the door. Help me to know. Help my, my spirit to recognize it. Help me to know that this is what you've called me to do. And then he waits. We don't know if he went before Artaxerxes a bunch of times during this time. We don't know if this was going to be the first time that he'd seen him since all this stuff came up. What we do know is that God had not opened the door before this. And so Nehemiah waits on God. And that's a difficult thing for us to understand in our American culture because we live in the instant gratification culture. If I want something now, I should get it now. If I want this thing now, I was just thinking about this the other day. Amazon Prime, they're doing this new thing. Two-day shipping, too long. How about same-day shipping, right? And then if you can't get same-day shipping because you ordered it like, an, like 15 minutes too late and you got to go to the one-day shipping, like I'm hurt in my heart that I didn't get to get it that day, that afternoon, that night. We live in a culture that says if I want this now, I get it now, But the truth is, is when we have to wait on God, it grows our faith. It grows our relationship with God. And it's a great thing. When I have to trust God, when I have to lean into him, it causes me to have to surrender my heart and go, okay, this can't be my timing. This has got to be God's timing. i got to have faith. If God's going to do it, God's going to do it. Nothing can stop God, so I've got to trust him. I can't rely on me. I can't make it about me. I can't make it about my timing. It's got to be about him. It causes me, waiting causes me to depend on God, to trust him, to have to have faith in who he is and what he's going to do. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's not easy when you're asking God to do something. But it grows our faith. And it's important. I've been privileged to grow up in a family that's done an excellent job of modeling, trusting God, taking things to him, seeking, is this a God-given vision, is it not? Believing that God's going to provide. My grandpa, something I'll be eternally grateful for, before he passed, he used to always uh, have me over on Saturdays, and I would mow his grass, and he'd give me more money than that was worth, they didn't have a lot of grass. And he'd take me to In-N-Out, and we'd sit, and he'd tell me stories of God's faithfulness. Again and again and again, Jamie, we went through this situation. This thing happened. God provided. God provided. God provided. And I love listening to those stories because there always seemed to be kind of a similar rhythm to them. A challenge would come up. Jamie, I went to my knees. God, what do you want me to do? God, help me to know where to go. Help me to know. And these stories would just be incredible. Things like, you know, back in the the day before there was internet and cell phone and all those things, being in India late, needing to get to a conference so he could speak, so he could tell people about Jesus, not knowing where to go, not knowing what was going to happen, gets down his knees, God, give me a name, Lord, help me to remember somebody that I could look up in the phone book and call, God, just just give me a name, and God gives him a name, he calls a person, it's someone he doesn't actually know, he's never met them before, but oh, by the way, they speak English, oh, by the way, they went to the 
the conference yesterday. Oh, by the way, they'll help you get to the conference. God's good, right? Stories like thing, things like leaving a church of 2,000 people in Ohio to come to a 500-person church in Phoenix, Arizona called Palmcroft Baptist Church. You go, why would you do something like that? Well, we prayed about it, and we felt like that's what God was leading us to do, so we did it. Watching God bless that ministry, watching how God used that to even bring about what's happened in Desert Springs, it's amazing. Think about stories my dad always likes to tell, you know, especially the ones that have to do with Desert Springs. I live some of those with him, so it's kind of like, you know, cool for my heart to kind of hear those stories. And one in particular that I think is so interesting is that one about 1997. Desert Springs is $10,000 in the hole. The elders and Pastor Steve are looking at it, and they go, you know what? Maybe this is God saying it's time for us to end the church. Maybe this is time for this whole thing to be done. They're praying, God, if this is what you want us to do, you've got to provide $10,000. If not, we're closing the doors. Get near the end of December, $5,000 comes in miraculously, only God. Instead of jumping up and down and being excited, the staff hits their knees. Okay, God, is this you? Do you want this? $5,000 more, we need to get it. Are you going to do it? God, we're trusting you. If this is what you want, go ahead. God comes through, $5,000 more comes in, church finishes with $34 in the bank. And I was thinking about that story because it's kind of interesting to me, if you think about it from the other side, they look at it and go, wow, God really provided, this is amazing, this is a God-given vision, keep this church going, let's do it. But you could also look at it and go, man, your church can't even afford to buy pizza to celebrate that God told you to do this, close the doors, $34, what are you doing? But the truth is, when you walk with God, when he answers, you've got to trust him. Church didn't look at it and go, we don't have any money, we should close the doors. The church looked at it and said, we've got $34 and God, let's do this. Let's go tell people about Jesus. Let's go serve him. We don't need to have any more than $34. God's provided. If we've got him, let's go. This is a God-given vision. And I'm so thankful for that faith that $34 and God was going to be enough because 23 years later, this is what it's brought us. It's brought thousands of lives that have been impacted. It's brought probably hundreds of people that have come to faith in Christ because for those people in that time, $34 and God was more than enough because it was a God-given vision. God had confirmed it and they were going to go. That's amazing. That's what God does. Unless we think that, that God just only does things in, in, in the big and the grand scheme, God sometimes gives us just enough to get by in the little things too. He gives us a vision for these small things. He asks us to walk in faith. And when we have those things, we can trust him in those things too. I was thinking about that for myself this weekend. I got to be honest with you. I don't really love getting up here to preach. That's the truth. Because I'm an overthinker. And so by the time my message is written, I spend most of the rest of the time picking it apart. Thinking by the end usually, like this is no good. I'm no good. Why is God using me? And I don't even know if I have anything to say. And I was always thankful for my grandfather because he always had a way of just encouraging me to trust God through that. And to walk with God through that. And he would always do this thing right before I would preach that just meant so much to my heart. He'd, he'd pray for me. Come up and he'd just pray God's hand over me. And I always was so thankful for that. 
He's been gone for a little bit over a year now, and, and that was this week for whatever reason. I just was thinking about that again and again. I just wish my grandpa was here to pray for me, just to help me know, God, I'm struggling with this. I, I, I want to be faithful. I, I want to trust you, but I'm struggling. Yesterday morning, I was getting ready to leave to come to church, and uh, my wife said to my son, Peter, she said, hey, Peter, you know, don't forget to pray for daddy tonight. Because uh, he's going to be preaching. And, and my son, in kind of classic Peter way, he goes, why don't we pray now? And he puts his little arm around me and he starts to pray. And I just felt in that moment, I mean, I know it's a small thing, but for me it was everything. I just felt in that moment God saying, Jamie, I know where you are. I got you. Trust me. I got this. When God gives us God-given vision, he's with us. Our call is to walk faithfully and to respond to that. And I love Nehemiah's response when God swings open the door because it's a genuine, authentic, very honest response. Nehemiah's been preparing his heart. He's been surrendering to all the things that God has asked him to do. He's wanting to make sure, God, I don't want to be out of step with you. I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to be behind you. I want to trust you. He's, he's prayed about it. He sought God. He's waited on God. He's not made a move without him. And finally, now here, we get to the place, and God swings the door wide open. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah serving before the king. The king looks at him. He goes, Nehemiah, I care about you, man. What's going on? Something's wrong. I can tell. I mean, the literal translation of this verse is, why is your face so bad? Nehemiah knows what's happening. God, you're swinging the door wide open. And his response, chapter 2, or verse 2, records, then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah knows he's stepping out in faith, but this could be the end for him. This could be a rejection. This could be the end of his life. This could, be, this could be all sorts of things that could go badly. But all he really knows is that God has put him in this position. He's given him the opportunity to ask. And God is with him. It's a God-given vision. So he steps ahead. Verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? Praise to God again. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me, for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah steps up and he says, look, I'm terrified, but this is what God's called me to do. I can't deny it. It's a God-given vision. My heart surrendered. I've committed. I'm going. He begins to ask the king for all these things, and I like the way he does it because he asks for a little bit. The king says, okay, he keeps going for more. Give me letters. Give me lumber. Give me all the things I need. And in the end of the day, the king gives him everything because when God is with us, it gets done. God provided. And I love the way that Nehemiah summarizes it here in verse 8 because he wraps it up so perfectly. 
And the king granted them to me because the good hand of God was on me. Nehemiah recognized God's provision. I think this is something we miss so often. God steps into our lives. He does something incredible. We have to rely on him. We're depending on him. God shows up, and then we move on. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He says, God, this was you. I couldn't do this. If it was me, it's an impossibility. With you, it's just an opportunity. You provided. You did something amazing. You are incredible, God. Thank you for your grace. He gave credit where credit was due. It makes me think about Joshua chapter 4 when the Israelites cross the Jordan River. They get to the other side. God makes a way for them across the Jordan. And he tells Israel and Joshua, he says, look, I want you to take memorial stones. I want you to build an altar. When you pass by this memorial, I want you to tell your kids and your grandkids that God was faithful to you here. This was before a single city was conquered. God tells them to build it. They're going to talk about God's faithfulness to generations. Look, this is a reality. We've got to talk about the good things that God's done in our lives. My life is forever changed because my grandfather decided to sit there with me on Saturdays and tell me the stories of God's faithfulness. He was willing to tell me about how God had encouraged his heart, how he couldn't have done it, but God did it. So when I walk up to those situations, I know that God can provide for me too. Changed a lot of stuff for how I approach my life. I'm so thankful for that. We need to tell the stories to ourselves because guess what? When God overcomes something in our life, there's something else coming. While we are in this earth, we will have trouble. But take heart, for he's overcome. Amen? Amen. That's who our God is. We've got to give thanks to him when he provides. Close out today, I want to just look back at those two questions that we asked at the beginning. How do you know that you have God-given vision And if you've got God-given vision, what now? What do we do with that? If you were to ask me, Jamie, how do I know that the vision that I have is a God-given vision? It's not just me. How do I know that? I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want you to think about them. Number one, do you care about the issue and have a passion for fixing it? If you don't care, you probably don't have a God-given vision. If you care, but it's not something that sits with you, it's not something that burdens you, it's not something that's driving into your heart all the time, I would tell you that you care, but maybe right now at least, God has not given it to you to fix. It might grow into that, but if you don't have a burning passion for it, I would tell you that probably God's given that to someone else to fix, at least for now. If you say, I've got a passion about it, I'm thinking about it all the time, my next question for you would be, have you prayed about it? You haven't asked God, I would not tell you this is a God-given vision. You've got to seek him. You've got to surrender your heart. You've got to ask him, God, if this is for me, great. If it's not, great. Hallelujah, you're God, I want to be with you. If you say, I prayed about it, I feel like God's continuing to lead me there, my next question would be, has God opened the doors? Closed door doesn't mean no. It might mean not now. Got a lot of missionary stories I could tell. I'm already three minutes over about people who wanted to do something for God, and God prepared their hearts for 15, 20 years, and then sent them out to live the rest of their lives serving Jesus. It's an amazing thing. No is not a bad answer. It's just an honest answer from God. We should take that from him, and we take everything else from God. Thank you for your answer. Thank you, God. But if God's opening doors, he's given you this heart, this passion, you've prayed about it, you've sought him, you've surrendered your will, now he's beginning to open doors for you, and you're starting to walk through them. I'm 
I'm telling you, it sounds like God at least has given you a vision to take those next steps forward. Go in faith. You've been given that God-given vision, and you were to come to me, okay, what do I do with this God-given vision? Let me just give you three quick encouragements. Number one, I've said this a lot, I'm just going to keep saying it because hopefully it doesn't get missed. Pursuing God-given vision should be done in God's timing. We don't ever, as believers, want to do the right thing at the wrong time. We want to be in lockstep with our Creator. We want to make sure that we're surrendered to His will. We want to make sure that we're waiting. Nehemiah runs into Artaxerxes right away and says, Artaxerxes, you got to do this, you got to do this, and if you don't do this, you're wrong, and my God's against you. He's probably getting a different response. Said he prays and asks God to give him wisdom. God opens the door, and when God opens the door, everything's taken care of. God-given vision has got to be done in God's timing. Secondly, God-given vision requires godly surrender from us. At no point should we be pursuing God and something he's given us to do in ourselves. We've got to be surrendered to the king. We've got to be in step with him. We've got to walk with our God. And finally, when God gives us a God-given vision, we should recognize his provision and give thanks to him. Let's not forget that we're about more than just our little time on this earth. We're trying to encourage other believers around us. We're trying to encourage our own hearts. But we're also trying to encourage the next generation that's coming up after this to know that God is faithful, to know that he provides, to know that he has something to say and something to do in this next generation. He's got more to do, more to come. That's who our God is. Nehemiah had an incredible God-given vision to rebuild the city walls in Jerusalem, to make right or wrong. And Nehemiah's response to that God-given vision is an incredible example to us today. He took time to prepare his heart. He mourned, he fasted, he prayed, he asked that God would use him and provide for him and for Israel. And when the time came and God made a way, Nehemiah pressed on and stepped with the Father. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you come in and you just say, Jamie, I'm just struggling. It's hard for me to know which way is up right now. Just want you to know, God knows that. He cares for you. He's got a plan for you too. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to walk with him. Maybe you're feeling a God-given vision and this is just that call to trust God, to surrender your heart to him, to look, to seek him, to walk when he opens those doors, to walk in step with him. Do that. God is good. He is faithful. Surrender your heart to him and to his timing and when God makes a way, press on knowing that he will provide.